there again, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Another episode of the Living the Grace Life podcast. This episode 24, if you're counting at home, we know that you are. I'm your host, Jim Hobbs, as always, alongside my good friend, senior pastor of Grace Life Church, downtown Sarasota, Florida, and a year older to, now, what, what, what do you know what time you were born? Today is your birthday. I was born like six in the morning. Something like that. So it's official. You have, you're, you are past. I have lived 52 years. And? That is correct. How does it feel? Feels a little bit like it did last year at 51. Really? That's good then. (laughs) That means you're not really. But I got to tell you, you're wrong. They are not counting the episodes at home. I they said are, they are counting. They're sitting at home with their fingers. They're counting your years. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that could be. Well, we also welcome back to us Wayne Dallaire, our head studio. When is your birthday, Wayne? Is it coming up? Did we miss it? It was uh, October 1st. Ah, and yours totally was four days it. ago. Mine was four days ago. I you didn't birthday. tell anybody. I snuck that in there. Happy, yeah. Happy birthday, Jim. Happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. The same to you, Wayne. Happy thank birthdays. You. Are you feel? I, no, like, you can't wish him happy birthday. It's October. You can't wait. You gotta wait for at least. What's the on. window like? Is it the like statue? The statue of limitations. Like on no, Facebook, if I get on your Facebook, belated. Wayne, and I say happy belated That's, birthday, that is a and faux I'm pas. fifty days off. Is that, that is a faux pas? The statute of me. limitations is about four days. What would you write back, Wayne? If I, I would s- say thank you, I love you See? too. You're That's not aggressive nice... enough, Wayne. You need to be more aggressive. So on yours, Joe, if I wrote you at the new year and I said, oh. Man, I totally, I didn't even know. I don't check these things. Happy belated birthday. I would just, I would just delete the post. <laughs> I just delete the post, block you for 30, snooze for 30 days, and then we're Wow, back. we don't want anyone <laughs> snoozing on this show, episode 24. We are wrapping up chapter seven, which has been a popular one, I got to say, when it comes to, you know, the Ministry of Reconciliation. We're going to get a little bit more into that today okay. because there were a couple questions about, as we talked about righteousness transforming, helping others transform, the confidence and the humble confidence that it brings. Mm. What's the deal with this ministry of reconciliation and what does it mean that I need to do? So if you've got a question, just feel free, jump right out there, email us living the grace life podcast at gmail.com. That's living the grace life podcast at gmail.com. We will read it if we get it on air and you will get a signed copy of Joe's book as well. The book We are going through The Grace Life, What Philippians Teaches Us About Loving One Another Relentlessly. Chapter 7 wraps up today. Three more chapters after that. It is all right here in episode 24 of the Living the Grace Life podcast. song apply you know there's only one day of the year and what are the odds that, that song and what are the odds that that song would come up in the on. bumper rotation it's, just, it's like lightning is struck. that the beatles did it uh see there was a guy mccartney um oh is that who did i don't, I know. don't, I don't know well, today good. is your birthday yes. yeah it does feel does it i, I mean for me in my 50s 
I think I like them. I played tennis this morning with a friend. He's a little bit older than me. He's mad. He's really mad about the aging process. He doesn't <laughs> like it. That's not something good to be mad about. <laughs> let me tell you, it's going to happen. I know, right? You, oh, you know goodness. it. You know it's, and it just, he's not. But I don't know. There's something to me that feels, for me, the 50s feel like I can just be me. I don't know. You feel that way? Like, I don't worry now about maybe a lot of the things I used to worry about. I do feel in ministry particularly, I do feel more freedom. I think, I don't know if that comes with being in the 50. I don't know what it is, but in the last couple of years, Hmm. I feel less burdened to be something for other people when it comes to ministry that I think has kind of freed me up, if that that makes sense. Do you think that is a burden that, do you think there was something there about performing versus you just being you like for instance you're feeling a burden there that was it wasn't performance it nah. was a it was it was a fear of of offending or going too far so i don't know what it is i i'm not so worried about stuff like that anymore it's interesting because from what just in the year or so that we've been here from hearing your sermons they feel more vulnerable and they feel you you seem to be more relaxed like there's less of you um there's more of of the essence i don't know why that word comes up but the essence of what it is the, i think who that you comes are, from saying, our involvement in recovery ministry i'll be honest huh. that's where it comes from for me because like Maybe i that's think why i pick up i yeah. think the vulnerability is modeled by so many brothers and sisters saints who god has transformed who are in recovery i just love it because they exemplify they exemplify reconciliation with God and reconciliation with one another uh, in ways that people that aren't in recovery just, I'm not saying that it's good that, to have addiction, Yeah, yeah. but, but well, you know, all things work together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose. And yeah. it, it must drive, it must drive the enemy. It must drive Satan crazy that after addiction comes these people who really are finally in tune with the kingdom of God, like others aren't. And he's like, man, I had them. Uh, and then this recovery thing comes through this faith-based recovery. And I think that's what's happened for me. I've, I've witnessed, I've seen other people's vulnerability and yeah. transparency. And, and I've, and I've desired that for myself, if that makes sense. How do you do that? Not being in, do you consider yourself in recovery from in? Cause we all have different addictions, different things. Do you use something in your life or to sort of emulate what that recovery or? So yes. Yeah, so what the, do you, the yeah. most important thing for me has been, so I've been doing this recovery ministry off and on for a while, but in the last two or three years, really intensely. And, um, you know, many w- people would consider me, I guess, a recovery pastor in some ways because of Grace Life Recovery and all the other things that we do. Right. But uh, what I have learned is the concepts that they had to apply to their lives to, say, recover from narcotics or alcohol, uh, those are things I need to re- apply in my life on a constant basis just with sin. Hmm. We're all in recovery with something. And if you think you're not in recovery, you're you're lying to yourself because either you are in recovery or you need to be. Maybe not a 12-step program, but all of us have these. Sometimes they're substance. Sometimes they're emotional. Sometimes they're financial. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things. It can be food. It, 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 sure. yeah, so there's I a mean, lot of things. And so what happens is that recovery ministry has given me insight into my spiritual walk, uh, my connection with the Father. And I'm so thankful to my brothers and sisters that have been bold enough and brave enough to say I'm in recovery, huh. 
and I needed Jesus. And their boldness to do that has has been an inspiration to me as a pastor. It's made me a better pastor. Uh, I'll just tell you, I cannot imagine being a pastor without an understanding of recovery ministry. No. They have discipled they... me. These, these people who have never been to seminary, some of them don't even know how to read a Bible. Yep. They have discipled me more than anyone else I can imagine. You know, your story is very similar to Henry Nowen, who has a lot of books out there, who also then, when he finished up doing his work at Yale and Harvard, went off to an institution where he had a lot of, uh, in his case, it was like a lot of uh, kids and, and young adults that had all kinds of special needs and problems. And he said there, that was where he finally got his ministry and understood he wasn't doing something for them. It was what they were doing Absolutely. for him, Absolutely. and he could not believe all those years that he almost felt like he, he was so concerned about his reputation and his uh, accreditation and all of that. It all dissipated in the sense, because these people didn't really Well, let care. me tell you, it's amazing because on Monday nights, we have a team, we rotate, and so once a month, I just preach. Yeah. I just get up there and preach, and it's so humbling that these people who are in recovery, some of them for years, some of them for weeks, some of them days, whatever. Some of them hours, probably. They, yeah. they, they allow me the privilege of speaking to them about something that I haven't been through. But the reason I'm able to do it is because all through recovery, it is all based upon scripture and spiritual principles, the, the ministry of redemption, the ministry of reconciliation, all these yeah. things are involved in it. Yeah. And that's actually interesting. You mentioned ministry of reconciliation because that is where you are on page 96, if you're following along here in your book, you mentioned specifically 2 Corinthians 5 18 to 21, known as the Ministry of Reconciliation. I'm going to read that now, and let's see how that applies to not just recovery, but what it is we're talking about here in chapter 7. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the Ministry of Reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself— not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." Hmm. It's about 20 podcasts yeah, yeah, <laughs> in that be. total. But what, so when Paul's getting at, you say then once made righteous, Paul said followers of Jesus are ambassadors for Christ and God is, quote, making his appeal through us. So isn't that what just, does that mean? Isn't, isn't, yeah, it's just yeah. a stunning, it's a stunning way that God works, right? So he does all the work to reconcile us to himself through the work of his son, who he turned his back on, on the, while he was on the cross suffering for our sin, right? And so he reconciles us to himself, mm -hmm. and then he takes these reconciled, redeemed, transformed people that he has forgiven, who didn't deserve forgiveness. Mm -hmm. you know, before you got here, you were a little bit late. I just want to make sure everybody knows. Was. Wayne I did and I, text to him. Wayne and I were I talking. You did text. You. Yeah, it does bother me. <laughs> Wayne and I and were I'm talking. I'm very timely now, which is interesting. Yeah. Well, Wayne and I, I've rubbed <laughs> off. Wayne and I were talking. He, Wayne says, I still struggle with understanding grace. I said, well, if you, if you really understand your, 
your depravity, then mm. you realize grace is the only logical spiritual alternative. Because we're, we're not going right. to any type of merit. We're, we're screwed. Yeah, performance-wise, so, sure. So through grace, he reconciles us to himself. And then by even a further act of grace, he makes us ambassadors to tell other people about the reconciliation that he gave us through Christ. It is just... That he gave us, right. We're supposed to then be almost of, representing well, think about the person this. who gave it to us. It right. cost him his son. Yeah. And the thing that cost him more than anything could ever cost someone, he entrusts to us... To the people it's who ridiculous. Are in... The people who are responsible for sending his son to the cross are now the ones that are responsible and entrusted with the, the greatest precious thing that God has, which is the gospel to others. And it is a sign of just how transformative grace is. He can take us from what we were. Yeah. And he makes us, I'm preaching on this Sunday morning about the kingdom, the kingdom okay. of heaven. And I said in my little preview that. Uh, many Christians claim citizenship in the kingdom of God, but spend their lives trying to do as little as possible when it comes to kingdom responsibilities. And these are who we are by nature, but God, by his grace, transforms us and makes us ambassadors and gives us good works that we trip over, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And those good works are us declaring this gospel of reconciliation. Yeah, we become these witnesses almost because in the fact that we then take notice of the grace that God's given us, we can then testify, I guess, as these ambassadors that we are now proclaimed to be and show that, hey, and it's not like, I love the part where it's not like we now have it all figured out. It's, can you believe that Christ did what he did? And then you actually begin to live a transformed life. Like we learned in rehab, they and I don't think most rehabs do this. This was at Karen Treatment Center up in Pennsylvania. They said that addiction at the end of the day, when you get through all the science and the medicine, is about a spiritually unfit condition. Mm. And if you do not attack the root <coughs> of the spiritual sickness and the malady, a spiritual malady is where addiction gets And that's, and listen, that is not just the problem of the genesis of addiction. It's the genesis of everything, the spiritual malady. And we are born in it. We don't achieve, it's not like we're born without spiritual malady, then achieve a level of spiritual malady because we make wrong choices. We are born with that. (laughs) We, We are born with that spiritual malady, which even makes even further the ministry of reconciliation so unlikely yet so miraculous when it takes place. But God did that, right? So if we go back to the garden, I mean, I don't think we caught him off guard by him saying, hey, here's a tree right in the middle of the field. Whatever, you know, don't think of the pink elephant. I mean, the minute you put this in somebody's mind, hey, don't do that. Here we go. And they begin this process. I think it must be part of the master plan, though, for us to then... I mean, don't you think that God, by design, Christ, the I am before the beginning of time, he, there must have been this plan for, for grace, for Christ, for all of this. And right? I have a theory for, I, yes, you're right. And I think the ultimate test of truth, I think I've shared this in the podcast before, and if not, I'll do it now. I've always said, you, you want to know what's true? You're, you're trying to figure out what's true theologically, spiritually, well, here's the ultimate test. If it gives man any credit, it's a lie. And if it gives God all the credit, it's most likely true. 
And so with that mindset, uh-huh. Uh-huh. that's my th- that's my working theory about when I'm trying to discern what I preach, okay? Yep. Is what is my take on this passage right? Well, if it gives a man credit, then probably there's a tinge of lie in it. But in the end, what would give God more glory? That he set up a meritocracy that people were able to achieve righteousness? Or that it was set up so that nobody could achieve. All have sinned. There is none righteous. No, not one. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And he sets up a structure of grace and mercy and forgiveness that brings us to reconciliation with him. To me, that gives him more glory. I can't think of another spiritual process that would be more glorifying to a gracious, heavenly, merciful father than grace. Or freedom, right? I mean, Logically think speaking, of the freedom now correct. that we can live in, knowing that like why, and through so much as we talk, our probably still most popular set of podcast episodes were about suffering and the learning and the journey in the midst of the dark, deep suffering. We then see God. We see Christ sometimes only definitely more visible and more apparent than any other place see, anywhere than in the deep, dark Jim, this, suffering. This is why I came up with the title, The Grace Life, because I don't see how you can live life to its fullest if it is not shadowed and cloaked and permeated with grace. Hmm. Money's not going to give you fulfillment. Nope. Some people not like this. A good marriage isn't going to give you fulfillment. Great friendships aren't going to get you fulfillment. Having a great job is not going to give you fulfillment. Having all of them the only won't thing, give you this the only you're looking thing, for, That's right. right. The only thing that gives you fulfillment is reconciliation, and that only comes through grace. And reconciliation, in this case, meaning the ability to connect, to, to be reconciled? Well, I mean, so what do you mean? There? You are reconciled to the Father, then you are a conduit for reconciliation for others to the Father. Right. So we were on one side being unreconciled. You who are unreconciled, we are now reconciled, and now we become reconcilers. It's ridiculous. And it's all a ministry of this concept of forgiveness. Yeah, and I get it because I think about if my son were to go through certain issues or problems and then he were to be he were to come back and say I mean it's the parable of the as they call it, the lost son. It should be the the prodigal father, the one who actually then, would I come running out, this is Luke 15, if my son messes up completely, comes to terms with it, says, I can't do anything. Basically, he's like, I don't have any money. I got to go home. He turns, repents, starts to come back. I would run and meet him, of course, on the road. He then, like to me, I would give him what the inheritance that I had, even if I'd given him everything already, I'd re-give to him the inheritance of love, of compassion. I would give him everything, even and, this and is, he's already messed up. Like I get it. By, well, this like, and this is the part that makes it different, right? So you you use the example of an earthly father and his son. Um, the miracle, the miracle is not when we realize, man, I screwed up and I'm hopeless. Right. Everybody feels that way at some point. Yep. That's that's not uncommon to the human experience. What is uncommon, what is supernatural is when somebody says, man, I screwed up. I'm depraved. I'm immoral. I'm unjust. 
I need to run to the Father. Now, that running to the Father, it may seem like, well, that's you making a good choice. No, it's not. It is supernatural that God has done something in your life that you realize the only solution is not trying harder. The only solution is not being more spiritual or more religious. The only solution is I've got to get back connected to my Father, and the only way that's going to happen is forgiveness. Yeah, because he, he gives up, right? I mean, and in, in that, because you kind of, you elude to that, the supernatural, you've talked about this before too, where things tend to be <coughs> supernatural only. You say in righteousness allows believers to bask in confidence. This is page 9293. So while grace creates a reliant humility, it also infuses us with supernatural confidence that you then elaborate toward the end of chapter 7 on the humble confidence that is then generated from that, this devotional living with humble confidence that you're saying only comes supernaturally. So how, like, do we have, so to make that turn, how do we do that? Well, once you realize that your confidence is not based upon a meritocracy or your confidence is not based upon your track record of success. Your confidence is based upon the gift of faith that allows you to believe in the work of Christ that gave you the undeserved favor and resulted in forgiveness and reconciliation with the Father. So faith, is that what you're you're saying? So For by there, grace you've been saved. There must be faith. So we have uh, yeah. to have something that we bring. You say, uh, you end chapter 7, page 98. When you step into the world with faith, you are no longer a religious failure, but you possess the very righteousness of God. Because of brokenness and humility, you've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation, and you can have all the amazing, inspiring, humble confidence necessary to boldly impact others, not because you're good at it, but because you know God works in spite of you, not because of you. That's correct. So in that aspect, I do need faith. So I I need one thing. Oh, no. See, do I need faith? You're missing it. Okay. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. Even that is not of yourselves. It's a gift, not by works or else you'd brag. So you say you come with one thing. No, you come with nothing. And the only reason you're able to come is because you were given the gift of faith. By That's the supernatural. God. That's the supernatural step that says to you that, that that makes you realize I'm a failure. I need to turn, repent, and turn to God. Return to Jesus. Repent doesn't mean I need to sin less. Uh-huh. Repent doesn't mean I need to do penance. Repent doesn't mean I need to go to confession and and say the rosary. Or that's not what repentance means. Repentance means I am turning to the one that has the answers. And that turn. That turn where you turn away from the world and to God, that is the gift of faith. Because you are saying, I can't do it, only God can. And that is a supernatural turn, and that is the place, the moment we receive forgiveness.
I love it. I was saw it down. Wait here. a minute, who picked that song? Who, who? You oh, did I pick that? Oh, that's right. I'm in charge <laughs> you of bumper You put a lot music. of time, you research and effort. And it is all a good this. song, but it's not Juicy J. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why? That was for great those who want to go back, listen go back to, to the last podcast episode. 23. <laughs> that's all. Juicy J. Oh, my gosh. Donnie Henley. Yeah, Don Henley. Oh, man, it's so good. I mean, for, oh, so that song, The Heart of the Matter. Is about forgiveness, even if you don't love me anymore, which mm-hmm. would, in that case, would mean a human type of <coughs> forgiveness here with the case of God. That's the only part of the song that doesn't fit spiritually. Yeah, but I mean, that God makes it more us. spiritual in a way, right? That's like, okay, well, you're a human, but there is someone who will never stop loving me. Yes, and it, and it is and it is the epitome of the ministry of reconciliation. Yeah, it's so cool to see that. So, uh, well, chapter seven questions. We're on page 99 in the book, The Grace Life, what Philippians teaches us about loving one another relentlessly. <clears throat> you have here, what does the Bible mean by righteousness? Why does religion fall short? of righteousness that is yours by faith in Jesus Christ, then this was what I was intrigued by. Does this mean you no longer need to obey any religious laws or commandments? Why or why not? I think the answer to that is yes. What? That you don't have to obey them anymore? That you don't have to. I'm not saying you won't be compelled to try. I'm not (laughs) saying you haven't been transformed. I'm I'm not saying, but... I'm pretty sure you know, I'm, if we're talking grace. I'm very tempted just to let that hang out there so you get all the emails. What is Jim talking about? Is he a moron? What is that? Well, I just, think it's I, true, I, I might though, just leave right? you out there. Isn't that kinda... as radical as it can be? The answer, I think, is you no longer need to obey any religious laws or commandments because you do say in this chapter, chapter 7, that... You know, the title, Be Really, Really Bad at Religion. I do. That's the idea. You say throughout Chapter 7 that we are bad at religion. You end Chapter 7 and you say we are so bad at religion, but thank God Jesus is good at grace. If we aren't bad at religion and bad at following rules, we don't need grace. I mean, that is correct. So I understand Paul says you're not going to the law brings you sin, and you know, so it doesn't mean we're supposed to keep sin. The key, but if we do, we're okay, right? Well, the the key is you don't have to follow man-made religious laws and commandments. Mm. So this is the important thing. There is Mm -hmm. no question. The Scripture teaches the Book of James and all through. If you are a child of God and you truly have been given the gift of faith and the supernatural ability to repent and be transformed, there will definitely be evidence of that in your life. The choices you make, the way you live, the the desire to strive to be like Christ 
And I think the best way to be like Christ is in our humility and our service to others. But the point that I'm making there with that question is the grace life means you are free from the church life. Mm, mm. Doesn't mean you're free from the church as in God's people, but you're free from the institution. And so you, you love it when I say things that might be controversial. As a pastor who's been fired three times, I've been wounded by the institution mm -hmm. many times. Sometimes I brought it on myself, sometimes I did not. But I am free at this point. We were talking about maybe mm. how my preaching has changed as yeah. I got older. I am free from having to preach in a way that um, furthers the church or institution. And now I'm more free to preach in a way that furthers the church, as in the people. Right. And understanding reconciliation and forgiveness. So I feel free from having to be a Baptist. Right. Or a Presbyterian. And to follow these very hard-set religious type of rules. Yeah. And, and for me, it, I want to see people, if, if somebody asks me, well, how do I, you know, what should my life look like? And, you know, my response is, I, I want to know that your values have changed. I, I want to know that the things that used to be important to you aren't as important anymore. And there, right. there are other things too. Right. But. but it's what's on your mind. I mean, when you think about how the, I mean, the idea, sure, Christ is on a rescue mission and the idea is to redeem us and stuff. But th somebody was just asking me the other day, well, you know, you must have a lot of hope because now you haven't drank for two plus years. You know, that must give you, now the odds, the numbers say, if I go to AA so many times and I talk to a counselor and I right, have a sponsor, right. the odds are 83% in my favor or something. And I said, actually, I, I, it gives me no hope because I can go out after we do this podcast, I can go to a bar and start drinking. I, I can do that. I have freedom mm. to do that. I don't want to do that. That's the difference. I, right. And it's not like I don't want to, to be good. I don't want to That's because the it's the right thing. If you tell me, well, it's the right thing to do, I can pretty much guarantee you I will go do the opposite <laughs> because that's how I'm wired. But I don't. I, why would I want to alter my mind now that I have it back? Like I couldn't now think. Like, so in recovery, it's not about jeopardy. It's not about now not drinking. It's like get into recovery so you don't do drugs or don't drink. No. It's not. Yes, we have to stop that so we get our minds back. But with your mind back, you're now able to be free to do well, anything. And Paul that you says, want, which, What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? Right. So here's right. a great example. So I'm preaching about this on Sunday. We just started this, this series on the Gospel of Mark that I'm, I'm having a blast with. This is where Jesus where Mark says, and Jesus went into Galilee and he started preaching the kingdom of God is now, repent and get ready. Uh -huh. And right after that, he calls from Galilee, Peter and his brother and they're fishermen and they aren't poor. Fishermen in Galilee, Galilean fish were in demand. Uh -huh. These guys were wealthy. And the scripture says, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately, they dropped their nets uh -huh. and they followed him. Now, we know later on, Peter screwed up. He chopped off ears. He denied Jesus. He was not perfect. He was still sinful. Yeah. But what happened? He became a kingdom agent who was following Christ. He was following in all of his flaws, all of his sinfulness, all of his the areas that he was weak in. 
he was still walking in righteousness and following Christ. He was not perfect, but there was a direction that was unmistakable. Yeah, and people, like you said, an ambassador, like we talked about there earlier, Peter is the ambassador, not because of him getting it all right, but because he has encountered the living Christ. And people Think about it. see that. He was rich. He oh, was yeah, he was absolutely. not a poor guy. He wasn't like this, you know, poor homeless guy throwing a line in the Galilee trying to get maybe one bluegill. That's not who this guy was. He had nets. He was selling fish to everybody. And immediately he says, you know what? I don't need this anymore. I need him. I wonder if he, yeah. Or does he even say, does he say anything? Is he like, okay, like... When you hear, like when I was, he was probably stunned. Like I can't believe I'm, I'm doing sitting this, but. there in London in my three bedroom townhouse in Primrose Hill after a wonderful three day private pub crawl with myself. I don't. I'm retired. I don't have to do anything. God comes, says, "We're going to go to rehab." That's why I go, and I don't think you know what he's right. I don't think you just went. I was like, no, yeah. I mean, my exact word was. Okay. That was the I'm not the, sure I was excited, but I knew it was the right thing to do. And maybe that's how maybe they weren't the, excited. That's maybe the supernatural like, okay, turn. That's right. the supernatural return, the repentance. Right. It, well, I always think road to Emmaus when they're with Christ yeah. and there he is, and then they make the turn. But as they make the turn, I mean that becomes because you have here on the action piece, Paul listed, and this is on page one hundred, Paul listed his previous achievements that he once believed qualified him for righteousness. Mm-hmm. And then you ask people to write down things that you could set yourself above others. Do you find yourself referring to the background, ministry, calling? <coughs> Can you truly say you consider it as garbage, which we, I think, talked about, that word, particular word, that it truly is what's even worse. It's like the garbage of the garbage. Compared to knowing Jesus, ask God to show you where you are still holding on to these things instead of <laughs> humbly relying on his righteousness alone. Oh, yeah. Mm. I got a list. <laughs> and I would be one that I would say... I've given up everything. I've given up my all these possible careers, a whole nother life I could be living, drinking. I've given up every, all of that. But by saying that, I'm actually not really, I don't think I'm really saying that. I think yeah. I'm really showing you maybe I'm not all in. You know what I mean? It's There's so something hard. Like it's that, funny you right? bring this up. This this is the sermon on Sunday. Really? <laughs> this is spoiler alert. This is the sermon, and I've been writing it and just feeling like this opening of my own eyes. And it it is exactly what I wrote in this action item, which you know I didn't know you were going to bring this out today. But is there anything you're holding on to that makes you think you're better than other people? You know that is. Uh, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm. Uh, I mean, I would not say that there are things that make me think I'm better. I know I'm better, and that, that's even worse. Like I would say, there are things I know I'm better than other people at. Yeah. There, well, of course. <laughs> like I can, you know, like for I'm example, not even like, I can uh, eat ice cream better than anyone. I'm telling you, I, I can ate put a it away. The last three days. Did you really? Not each. See, day, that's nothing. Ask my wife how long it takes me to eat a carton. What will she say? If I start at 10 o'clock in the morning, it's gone by 10 o'clock at night. 
What size? We're talking a the the carton size. Yeah, yeah like yeah, yeah. you know the regular size. I could do it. That's a lot. I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to outperform you now. <laughs> yes, yes. This, this is. An I area want to get that yeah. you could be better. So, so I mean, what? Yeah, what? I love this last part of that. The, right? I wrote I, I wrote this prayer out at the end yeah, of that action. Let me just that read that last. Us, yeah. God help us today, with humble confidence that there is no one. We cannot confront with grace, even when needing it desperately ourselves. Mm. Mm. I just think that's that's what it means to be really, really, really bad at religion. Yeah. Well, that's what we are. I mean, maybe we don't have a choice. Some people don't think they're bad at religion. I got news for you. You are terrible at it. The Pope is the worst at it. We are I don't care. <laughs> we are all bad at religion. Because let me tell you something. Religion. Religion doesn't save. Religion kills. Religion destroys its faith and grace and forgiveness and transformation through the work of Christ on the cross that saves. Not a priest. No. Not Holy Communion. Not a Mass. Not the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, not Presbytery. Mm-hmm. Uh, the PCA, mm-hmm. PCU. None of those can save. The only thing that can save is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, that is the best way to wrap up chapter seven. If you want to see Joe's prayer that he wrote here, it is on page 101 of his book, The Grace Life, What Philippians Teaches Us About Loving One Another Relentlessly. If you've got a question, and I know you must after that episode, just email us at livingthegracelifepodcast, livingthegracelifepodcast at gmail.com. Next episode, we are into chapter eight supernatural there's the word again supernatural perseverance i rely on that word too much don't i well i don't think (laughs) that's like saying you rely on god too much i I would say the answer is no i think it's perfect so we look forward to that we look forward to your emails and as always on behalf of jump dog audio productions the man behind the curtain wayne delay wait wait a minute before we before we wind up yeah yeah wayne i've got a bone to pick with you yes sir with wayne he used to be giving, he used to put these, this, he's very thoughtful. He puts these mean. bottles of water on the table. He does. He's uh, gone they, to this size just right bottle and uh-huh. it's like half the size of the old one. Are you, are you trying to, you know, are you pinching pennies on We're us, just brother? Looking for efficiency. It's... <laughs> that means his previous bottles were sized just wrong. They were perfect for me. You weren't finishing the. Work. Anyway, I you wanted to interrupt. You haven't even opened your bottle. That's because I I am protesting. <laughs> I'm not going to drink your water anymore. You might as well just stop buying them. Oh no! No, I'm just Wayne. kidding. Wayne. This could be. Uh, He's trying to be efficient. It's... He says. <laughs> You out there, be a fisherman of men when you can. Get the water size you need. And always remember, whatever you do each and every day, keep looking to Christ so he can keep you living the grace life. 